Welcome to the AI on Action podcast, the show where we break down the hype and highlight the practical benefits of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence on our everyday lives. Subscribe to the podcast, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Android podcast of choice. Today's guest is Niall Morn. Niall is the principal data scientist with Cartrawler. Cartrawler is the world's leading B2B travel technology platform. In the show, Niall will share about what Cartrawler does, how they're using data analytics to improve the customer experience, and some of the challenges they needed to overcome. Later, we'll talk about explainable AI and deep learning, and how AI will improve our lives for the better. You're listening to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly. My guest is Niall Morn from Cartrawler. So without further ado, let's get straight into today's episode. You're very, very welcome to the show now. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for inviting me on. Tell me about your background and what attracted you to work in data science, machine learning and AI. Uh, sure. Uh, so data science, I guess, appeals to me mainly because uh, it's kind of crossed in of disciplinary nature. So my background originally is in um, kind of software engineering and then I, I went into high performance computing and, and parallel computing and then I went into uh, scientific research for a while, so I worked in theoretical physics doing a lot of simulations of, of quantum systems that are aimed at um, for use in quantum computation. Then I switched into data science, so for me it, it kind of combines the kind of analytical uh, kind of computations that you do, the kind of large scale simulations you do in, in a scientific context with kind of everyday data and software engineering challenges to actually integrate into product workflows. So for, so for me, it kind of has a bit of everything and, and I find it quite challenging and, and, and interesting. And tell me a little bit for the listeners actually may not know about your kind of background working within Cartrawler and what does Cartrawler actually do? Uh, so Cartrawler is a B2B uh, meta search engine. Well, we're a B2B travel technology company is what we call ourselves. Uh, but we mainly rent cars and uh, we also do some other um, ground transportations, coaches, taxis, some other areas. So on one side we have uh, suppliers, we have your Avis, Eurocar, um, all the different suppliers. Then the other car we have partners, uh, so airlines that would like to offer um, ground transportation to their, uh, to their clientele. And so what we do is we provide the stuff that can just go into their website and then we offer them basically a platform for our suppliers. So we offer a marketplace where suppliers can sell their goods and then we offer new revenue streams to, to airlines and hotels and other partners that they can, can integrate into it. Brilliant. And how do you use data analytics at Cartrawler to give customers a more personalized service? We use economies of scale. So we have millions of people hitting our different touch points uh, every day. and. Um, from kind of looking at this data and patterns over time and uh, say by location or time of year or, or various other uh, parameters that one would enter on, on the flight, we can kind of try and pick out patterns or um, recognize trends which will allow us to you know, push one product that might be more favorable or, um, towards the customer and ultimately try and help them navigate towards what they want. and. Um, to make it easier for them to book uh, the holiday they want or the transport they want for their holiday or their business trip. Um, so ultimately this is better for us, it's better for our partners and it's better for our suppliers. And tell me about some of the common challenges that your team have to overcome and what do you do to stay ahead of the market and try to solve the challenges you have now but also the challenges that are coming down the line? So things like uh, that we've faced um, recently have been kind of data quality issues so we find that you know, we, we're missing fields and in, in our fields aren't being populated that are coming through from a production system. 
and there's kind of this this is a difficult problem because if if you make it overly rigid your data structures then you have trouble um, kind of adapting to new features or adding new 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 things but if you allow it to be too freeform then you don't have the fields you, you know the bare fields you need for kind of reporting on, on certain things so um, you have to kind of embrace the complexity and kind of try and tie down areas that are important but allow um, allow extensibility so kind of allowing this extensibility and growth is, is one of the, the, the main things we, we try to focus on. How do you stay up to date with current trends? Like, do you kind of actively kind of read in your spare time? Do you kind of have kind of, uh, kind of roundtable discussions internally where you're kind of fleshing out different ideas? How do you kind of stay at the kind of the pulse of the market? Because there's so many different changes happening. Yeah, yeah, so, so it's quite a fast changing, changing market and the, the company as a whole, as a whole is quite, um, they thrive in innovation, so they they organise uh, conferences every year with um, all the heads of the travel technology industry, and they're always looking for for new avenues uh, within the group. Ourselves, we we then try to um, organise uh, you know periodic uh, sessions where we we try and talk critically about kind of the things we're doing, or you know if we were to start with a blank slate, what we could bring in that might. Um, you know, if we were to throw everything out, if we were, we were to bring something new in, what, what it would be and then uh, where it could, could go for us. Um, and of course, yeah, reading and keeping up with the latest, um, the latest papers and the latest research on blogs and, and various other articles and Kaggle competitions and, and all these things is, and going to meetups and the, the local community in Dublin is, is also quite important. The blank slate, that's a nice <laughs> way to start. Yeah. And what you would actually do differently uh, to, to go, go back. Is there any kind of major changes to go the last couple of years that if you guys were to start again, you'd do, or any new innovations that you felt have really kind of changed the game? Um, I guess it's more in terms of uh, when you're putting a system in place and then how you have to maintain legacy things. So, so one of the things that, that complicates things when you have to move to another, another data structure or when you have to move to uh, these things uh, kind of complicate things. As you know, you can bring in a new system, but then you know you can only report back for historically for the last few months of data up to that point, and this kind of complicates things majorly. We were kind of talking about off air about and um, decision logic and kind of black box of deep learning and explanations of sure, decisions yeah. Yeah. and and how this can be really really interesting, uh, kind of a challenge to 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 solve. What were your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, so. Um, I'm saying that that actually brings me back to a point I we touched on earlier about how I said we have internal challenges as well in, in um, when you are working a kind of data science role in a company whereby you know if you do train a model that uses a deep neural network and it comes out with some 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 good results but you want to put it in production um, first of all you have to it, it can be hard to explain to yourself and other people how that works and uh, Particularly that that mightn't be so important if you're just actually uh, you know tuning a parameter in something or you're not making some decision that affects someone. But if, if as you mentioned, if you're turning down someone's loan, uh, you know based on some on some opaque uh, big deep net network, um, then that's for highly dependent on the type of data it was trained on. And um, there's I think uh, as part of the GDPR, there's. People are entitled to know or get an explanation why they were um, declined. So um, there's problems about trying to implement these things, and um, it's, a, it's a real challenge. And from speaking to other guests on the show, they've got so many fantastic uh, products to bring to market, but they can't get access to the data 
and they also can't bring it to market because they haven't got the proof of concepts nailed down yet. Sure, yeah. So they're in this kind of quagmire because they're trying to explain it back, but it's so much easier to explain back a decision tree yeah. rather than actually explain something in the gradients to, to, a, to a, a user or a customer as well. So it's a, it's a challenge that I think if we can overcome, it's just going to bring so many new fantastic outcomes to people's lives, but we just need to start quickly understanding it. Yeah, so um, definitely it's a, it's a challenge and there's some nice work where they look at, so if in a deep network you can look at kind of the, how the neurons fire in the lowest layer and like if your features are kind of meaningful you can find out the areas that have most influence um, on, on, cert on certain outcomes. Of course it's, it's, it's not always uh, as clear, so there can be areas that fire that aren't actually important. It can pick out kind of just the highest variance areas, not the, the areas of most interest to the actual thing you're, you're trying to train it for. Um, but I think, I think it's an important area to focus on the explainability and, um, and, and how to un understand what these uh, systems are actually doing uh, when they produce an output, instead of just focusing on uh, you know your KPI metrics or your your accuracy or whatever whatever kind of score you're using to to uh, grade your your performance. Yeah. Where do you think the future of data science is is heading over the next few years? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. It's it's hard to know. Um, I think the word will or the field will have to, uh, will break up a little into some specialities. I feel data science, uh, particularly now, the word covers a bit of a multitude. Um, so it covers kind of everything from people who just load some numbers into an Excel spreadsheet to people who kind of develop uh, full-on kind of AI products in, in, uh, and computer vision and, and uh, products and integrate them into, into things that get sold. Uh, so I think it's going to kind of break up where you'll have, uh, you'll also have the emergence of kind of management that can deal specifically with data science projects, the kind of data science product managers, project managers who acknowledge the kind of uh, the different trade-offs that you have in terms of the risk of a product not working or how it might take longer in the testing phases and how you need kind of more qualitative testing rather than just actual functional unit testing. Um, so I think all these kind of specialities, there's also I think uh, it's been recognised that there's an importance on the data science engineer and also that will become a, a bigger speciality. Um, so there's probably going to be some rationalisation. We're still kind of in the phase where certain frameworks are kind of fighting for market share. So we have uh, TensorFlow, PyTorch, um, and we've all the various different platforms that are that are competing for, for market share. and then. Um, there's also then how to deploy some of these things, so so it's often easy to kind of um, you know bring up a data set and and run your model on your last few months of data and actually see some promising results and, and find some insights, and that can be used readily uh, then to you know just make a decision. So you actually don't put a machine learning solution live into your product. You kind of use it offline, and then you take the the output from it, um, but I think as, as these technologies mature and there's already kind of uh, Spark is going in that, that direction, you can plug in your you know TensorFlow model directly. So, so I think we're going to see more and more uh, kind of integration into into the actual uh, you know pipeline, so that when you go onto a website or when you actually go onto a touch point, that you'll actually be interacting with with something that's actually learning live and and 
and, and changing as, as you interact with it. I think it's really clear to see this, this specialities emerging and there probably will be rationalization uh, going, going forward. Uh, some of those is we can see is machine learning and the subset of that with deep learning. And um, where do you see the future of AI heading, in your opinion? Yeah, so, so it's quite interesting to, to think about this. There's, there's, various, um, there's various critics who claim now that you know, the, the successes over the last few years have been uh, mainly in the narrow, they're still considered narrow AI, um, and that you know, we're not really getting to this uh, general AI. And there's some fairly high-profile people who claim that you know, we're being driven in the wrong direction. And, um, there was another description at NIPS last year um, by who claimed that data scientists they are alchemists, and uh, there is some similarities. So, so some people deep learning models work very well, and um, they've basically state of the art on image recognition, voice uh, recognition. There's a lot of interest in how they work in it from a theoretical point of view. So some people uh, think that they shouldn't work as well as they work because you have a huge optimization space and you have this stochastic gradient descent. So why should it find a, a solution that works so well? And um, we don't expect to find the optimal, but the fact that it finds even a solution that works well is, is, is pretty amazing. And um, then as well, it's often quite sensitive to the structure of the network. So, uh, you know, it works quite well, but then, you know, you remove a layer or you add some slightly different optimization technique and your solution falls apart completely. So, so this is quite fragile and you know, it's, it's more a kind of, um, there's a certain amount of kind of trial and error and kind of alchemy to it that you just try things and you don't understand. Um, so, so I guess this, this is not a great state of mind uh, for a lot of people or pe people are quite unsettling, unsettled about this. And um, so hopefully there'll be some kind of clarity on, on the reasons and there's already some rationalization where you know, often the practitioners jump ahead of the theory, so they implement new features that work very well, and then kind of every few months there's a rationalization, oh, well, that's just the same as this, or, you know, the, the model structures. Um, but to go back to your initial question, um, I guess I, I'm quite uh, confident. I, I don't share the same belief that uh, Elon Musk or Stephen Hawking would have that, you know, we're in any danger of, of being uh, kind of taken over by some kind of sentience, emergent sentience. Um, in the in the short term, at least. Um, so I, I just think that um, I'm quite excited about the positive aspects that uh, you know AI can offer in areas like healthcare and uh, other areas that will you know bring benefits to people's lives. And that kind of ties into my next question: is where do you see the top three benefits that from user cases that maybe deep learning is going to bring in the next three to four years? I think healthcare is probably the, the number one for, for me area that, that's exciting. Um, so there's there's uh, much more data with you know more detailed, deeper sensors, um, and just the ability to actually uh, trawl through this data and, and pick out things. Um, I'm also quite excited by the prospect of uh, just general AI tools and enabling people to kind of work better and, and make their lives better. So it's frustrating to me, and I'm sure plenty of others, how um, you know, there's, we live in an information-rich uh, world now, and there's, there's plenty of things I'd love to spend the day reading up on, but you know, other things get in the way, I've, I've, uh, and I don't get time to do that. And even if I did get time um, to st spend all day reading about what I wanted, uh, I wouldn't get you know, 
uh, through half of it. So, so the idea of kind of having like these automatic, um, you know, knowledge systems or question answering that can kind of go and learn the literature or kind of summarize questions the way you want. That, that, that's like the kind of NLG. Yeah, yeah, the kind of the NLP, kind of Watson kind of have this kind of stuff. So, yeah, they've kind of been making progress to kind of deploy this on kind of the medical literature. So, for example, you can, you know, take, you know, a body of like a few thousand papers on how to apply certain uh, treatments to some kind of uh, illness. And um, often these papers might be quite prescriptive. So it's, you know, we we took these, this sample size, we gave them this drug and uh, you know, these results came out, but still there's often nuances and the language can be quite complicated. So coming up with something that can kind of automatically take that and kind of collate it in and say, you know, out of the studies, you know, this presents and this and summarize that kind of literature for you. Um, so kind of in, in those fields where the papers are more prescriptive and the documentation is, is more prescriptive, it's kind of, it's a little easier, but then I guess to do it more generally and in, in more nuanced fields. And then as you go up into kind of I guess politics and news and sentiments that that also gets uh, gets quite challenging. No, that's all my questions for today. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Sure, thanks, thank Mark. You. That's all for this episode of AI in Action. Hope you really enjoyed it. If you'd like to stay up to date with all the latest podcasts, please head over to the website aiinaction.ie and subscribe to our newsletter to get podcasts delivered straight to your inbox. But I'd like to take the time to let you know about the AI Awards which will take place in the Gibson Hotel on Thursday the 22nd of November. Proudly in conjunction with Microsoft, the AI Awards is a not-for-profit community-led initiative that was set up to celebrate the best of AI and data science in Ireland. Our focus is to support the AI community by recognising the hard work and dedication of those working in the field of AI, data science and machine learning. It's a fantastic opportunity to showcase your work and skills to the AI community and the island of Ireland, and also to help raise the profile of Ireland as a destination for AI investment. If you're interested in attending the AI Awards, head over to www.aiawards.ie to buy your ticket today. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you again really soon.